Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can offer your guests a better buying experience, more customization, peace of mind in their purchases, and how you and your organization can create a new revenue stream, visit www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. The global leaders in refund protection, who I should add, since this is the week leading up to Intix, you'll be able to find us at Intix in the exhibition hall. Booth number 204, I think we're right next to Ticketmaster. If you're going to be at Intix, come see me, Simon Mab, Cat Spencer. Um, if you're interested in getting together, grab a cup of coffee or a drink or something, send me an email. It's my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. Put the subject Intix in the subject line, and we'll make sure we get together. Simon's going to be giving a talk on how you can use uh, customer review sites to grow your business. I'm going to be talking about uh, revenue. I'm going to be doing a revenue reinvention workshop. Um, I'll also be on the Ask the Consultants panel. Um, I'm part of the Intix Technology uh, Working Group Committee. And I'm going to be on a panel with Andrew Thomas, my good friend and the founder of the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Birmingham, England, on Let's Act More Like Airlines, which is not a joke. It's how can we use the ideas that airlines use to be more effective at making money and offering customer service uh, through the buying process to our, our guests and our fans. Um, so check us out at Intix. Um, if you're going to be around, make sure you send me an email, dave at davewakeman.com, and we'll get together. We'll grab a cup of coffee or have a chat. Um, on that note, my guest today is somebody you should also check out at Intix, uh, Nick Begley from Audience View. Nick is doing a couple sessions. He's going to talk about uh, shareable moments, um, which is going to lead into word-of-mouth marketing, and he's also going to lead a panel called Ask a Boomer. Um, Nick is one of the marketing people at Audience View, and in this uh, podcast, we talk a lot about um, Intix. We talk about our, our shared friend Maureen Anderson and the things she's done to make Intix a must-attend conference. Um, we talk about Nick's um, his sessions. We talk about his marketing philosophy and about how you add value. We talk um, really interesting conversation about how he still maintains connection to the University of Central Florida, uh, even though he now lives in New York City, and some of the lessons that all of us can learn about the way they use social media to engage with their displaced fans. We talk about uh, his philosophy on data and how uh, some of the clients that he works with and sees use data in an actionable way. Um, we talk, we get into a, quite a bit of stuff. I think you're going to find this uh, conversation pretty interesting, and it actually went longer than the quick hit that I thought it would. So uh, enjoy my conversation with Nick Begley from Audience View on the Business of Fun podcast. I want to welcome my friend Nick Begley from Audience View to the Business of Fun podcast. Nick, what's happening? Hey, Dave. How are you? Oh, man, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, like I was telling you when we first started talking, uh, I'm finally thawing out. I was frozen in my office here for a couple of days, but so everything's good now. Just getting excited for intakes next week. So I wanted to thank you for coming on because I wanted to um, spend a few times with people, I, a few minutes with people I know 
um, who are going to be at Intex. So maybe expose them to a new audience so that people at Intex will have a, take a chance and like, you know, stop by and see you, check out your session, uh, do what, you know, do all of these, those good things. So thank you for being here. Sure. Yeah. And I was doing the math uh, as related to Intex and this is going to be my 13th conference that I'm attending um, for, for Intix. So it's something that it's sort of I set my calendar by it. And every January, I know wherever Intix is heading, I'm heading. Um, so it's been a really great to see the evolution of the conference as well. And their continued focus on, um, you know, networking, um, education. And again, the value of attending the conference is so critical because the budgets for professional development have been slashed, and oftentimes you're only able to attend one to two conferences a year. So um, I really enjoy, you know, what Maureen Anderson has done around focusing on content and focusing on networking. Those are the two critical components of, uh, you know, putting on a great conference, and it adds value to us as exhibitors and sponsors because the more people that attend these conferences, the more they're engaged, the more they're willing um, to, uh, you know, visit with us and learn from us. And um, and again, it's really just a matter of you know continuing to add value to uh the attendees yeah and you know this will be my second one because i sort of um and i, I had fun last year I, I enjoyed it so that i mean obviously i'm back and i know nothing against dallas but i will be looking forward to the one in new york next year because uh, <laughs> when anytime i go to new york it's it's great so I, you know i'm looking forward to that one as well um but you're you're exactly right um you know maureen's done a great job of creating an opportunity for people to learn, for people to meet new people, and for people to, you know, kind of accelerate the growth and understanding of all the opportunities that are involved um, in using the right technologies, having the right partners, um, you know, and kind of learning from each other. You know, her, her philosophy of the tribe, I think, is really, really great because, um, you know, uh, one of the things that I talk about is like we shouldn't be in these things alone, right, because it's really, really tough to try to have all the answers yourself. So, you know, so I'm, so I'm excited, but you know, sure. we, we can talk about that over beer. Uh, exactly. How excited I am to see you yeah. <laughs> over beer. <laughs> the, the great part about um, the tribe uh, concept too, which I love is that, you know, oftentimes these organizations are not competing with each other. There's only a handful, you know, usually in each city, but the real competition is around every other opportunity that people have to spend their uh, free time. Um, and the, the idea of work-life balance is so critical for people is, and especially, so what is their discretionary funds to be able to take part? You know, you know, you're not just competing with a local theater or another sports organization, you know, and it, this has been, you know, uh, the drum has been, you know, beaten on this a ton, but you're, you're competing with Netflix, you're competing with other activities. So it's how can we as a live entertainment um, industry um, help each other because I think when we do help each other, we raise each other up and we really provide value. People will come back and when they're thinking about what to do, their event discovery starts with live entertainment. And I think we all win when that happens. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. And I think one of the big issues, and you know, I, I know that for myself, I think I'm going to be on like four different things at Intix. But the point I always, even with the podcast, try to get across with is that you're not selling something that's static. You're selling a once-in-a-lifetime experience every time. It doesn't matter what it is you're selling, right? It could be uh, a three-week run of Hamilton, right, which the show is going to be pretty much the same every night. But the thing that's different is the fact that you're never going to have that group of performers in, that, in the same room with that audience ever again. And you never know what will happen, right? Because like somebody could flub a line or like – and out of that flub came like some really like interesting, you know – 
instance or what you know whatever it, but it's always completely unique and if you're not selling it that way it's a missed opportunity because yeah i mean you're fighting netflix you're fighting people with their phones and their tablets you're fighting um you know if you're sports you're fighting watching the game at the bar right or like you know at on home at home on your 70 inch tv if you had you know something like that so you always have to sell the fact that like it's always unique when yeah, you and- get those people in the room together and you don't know yeah. what's going to happen yeah, agreed. And, you know, we, we always focus with that on the sports side, that it is a unique experience. Um, but I think that, you know, you always focus on, like, you know, which team won. And that, you know what? To, to me, the mark of putting on a great sporting event is when people exit the building, they may not even know who won um, because their experience was great regardless. Um, and you need to surround it with, um, you know, other things that people can do. Um, and I know you're, you're big on this is creating an experience within the experience. And that can happen in the arts world as well Is you want to make sure that they enter the building and leave the building. And, you know, we often talk about, you know, you're not selling tickets, you're creating memories. And I know that sounds a bit cliche. Um, but oftentimes, you know, with the experience economy and how thriving it is, you know, people are less likely to buy physical goods, um, you know, especially when they're gifting items, they're more likely to buy experiences or gift experiences. So we need to focus on that as an event and then within the event within the event. And I think that there's the real opportunity for us to rise above, you know, uh, you know, watching the game at a bar or, you know, uh, spending a night home, you know, with Netflix. Yeah, yeah, you you brought up the experience within an experience thing, and, and this is what today's Wednesday, January twenty third, as we are recording this. So last night I took my son, eight year eight year old, to a hockey game because he had a couple of days off of school here in DC. Um, and the experience inside of an experience thing was it's really true because um, I know that the Caps lost seven to six in overtime because my son was like, I, I wanted to go to overtime because I want to be able to stay out late, right? Because he's eight. Um, but, you know, it was like just engaging with the people um, at the Capital One Arena. It was it was a great experience, right? They they pressed his um, Stanley Cup patch on his uh, jersey for him. It took a minute. You know, there was like no hassle. But what was really um, – and I'm still like kind of floored because it's not like I'm a stranger at the at – the, in the building and people, I know people with the team and the organization, but some guy who didn't know me, I had never seen the guy before at the end, like just walked up and like put a pressed a puck into my hand when I'm walking out with my son, because they were laughing and, and giggling, even though the caps lost. And it was like an autographed Nicholas Backstrom puck. And I was like, going, I'm, I, I was like, that's cool to me. I was like, you know, and, and my son's just like jaw hit the ground. And I was like, it's like so little because like how much is a hockey puck and having the thing autographed and like just like wandering around and like just sticking it in somebody's hand to go, hey, have a good evening. I mean, you know, it doesn't even have to be that. It's just like the thoughtfulness that went into the process is I think something that can be replicated, right? It's like engaging with the staff, engaging and being um, customer focused and, you know, it's something that can be recreated and that creates that experience, which is, again, like you said, in the experience economy, it's so valuable because people want to feel like they're they're unique and they're special and like people want them to be there yeah that's incredible and it's funny we had a similar experience we went to spring training um for the first time with my kids i had been previously but um i have a seven-year-old and a a four-year-old and um our goal is to go to all 30 major league baseball stadiums so um i also looked at the calendar said hey you know spring break doesn't line up with spring training for several years now as they're entering school so we we drove down um, we're big Mets fans, um, so we went to Port St. Lucie, and 
um, during the game, you know, we got an autograph from Todd Frazier. Um, we also, um, one of the fans saw how, you know, they were interacting with the game and uh, actually caught a foul ball and gave it to them. So it was, I mean, we walked away with a signed hat and a, you know, a, a ba- game used baseball and it was, it was great. And like you said, you don't need those items. We would have still had an amazing time, um, you know, otherwise, but you know, it just, you know, they, they walk away from that game and had such a great experience. And, and that's where I, you know, love the intimacy of spring training and, um, you know, hope that eventually we'll get to the point where that intimacy and that experience scales better to some of the bigger events. Um, I think we'll get there, I think, because we're going to focus on, you know, the event within the event. But just an example, and this is an example of why I love minor league baseball, college sports, and, um, you know, uh, I would say spring training as as a whole, because the intimacy is there, the experience is there, and it just feels really good when you're at the event. Yeah, I mean, anybody who's never been to spring training should go. And I, but I, and I think that the intimacy, um, you know, it's more difficult, right? Like I know an audience view um, client is the University of Tennessee, which is a hundred and what's one hundred one thousand stadium uh, seat stadium. It's tough to create intimacy there. But I still think you can put like a customer focus and a customer spin on things, even at the, the, that size scale. Because I think it's, you know, one of the challenges is not the size, it's the intent, right? And I, and I probably am going to sound like a, uh, like I'm uh, trying to sell you courses on design thinking, but that's sort of like the basis of design thinking, which I think is going to be much more valuable and much more important for arts and sports and entertainment venues and properties going forward is to think about the experience you're creating, you know, from top to bottom in a more thoughtful and customer focused manner, which is, you know, sort of at the heart of design thinking, um, you know, and it's that intent, right. To create a really awesome experience for people. I mean, at least that's me. I mean, I could, I mean, it could be, I could be crazy, you know, yeah. the first time either. It's but to use the University of Tennessee as an example, they do a great job um, as well. There's activities that are pregame, postgame within the game. So I think that's really where you know the intimacy comes into play. And again, intimacy, you know, is more like the white glove treatment. Is how are you making sure that you add value to your fans? Um, and that could be just a really great seamless experience. Um, could be enough uh, to do that. So I think you know also focusing on segments. Um, you know what what is your kids club look like? How are you focused on cradle to grave? How what is your accessibility for um, some of your older fans? So there is opportunities to create that experience within a large stadium, as as you alluded to. Yeah, and I think you you open up something that is, I think people maybe are maybe aware of, but maybe they don't aren't paying as much attention to it, or they don't have the way to find the data as much as possible. But I was reading a book recently um, called Soccernomics, which I'm sure everybody's probably either heard they've heard of Freakonomics, and this is um, basically Freakonomics for soccer, um, you know, global football, and it talked about specifically how fans and customers don't go through. Uh, it's not a static thing, right? Their dedication to an event or their their connection to an organization or a team or whatever changes and evolves over time. And I think what you're talking about with like the fan club and then segmentation is very important as you think through that, right? Because it maybe allows you to have better conversations and better communications with your customers at each stage of their life and each stage of their fandom. Um, And then it gives you a greater opportunity to customize some of those experiences so that they're meaningful and impactful for the people you're trying to serve, 
uh, you know, and, and I don't, again, you know, I'm not like a data scientist or anything, um, but I'm, I'm sure that like most of the tools that we have access to these days allow us to do a much better job of segment, segmenting our data and understanding like what these different segments of the population look like. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're focused so much on data collection. It's what data are you collecting that is actionable? Because if you're not properly actioning on that data, it doesn't matter what you're collecting. Um, so I think you're right is how are you focusing on different segments? And, um, you know, you make a great point about how you're, you know, we'll take sports as an example, um, but it, the same holds true in arts is as you go through your certain life phases, you know, you actually interact with um, live entertainment a little bit differently. So how can we um, be able to better um, serve or better market to these um, different segments? So, you know, as someone who has two kids, like I mentioned, you know, we're often, um, you know, more likely to go to uh, children's theater or sporting events um, because it is a little more family friendly, where as opposed to, um, you know, you know, Hamilton's or some of those others. So, you know, we're more of a, on the Peppa Pig side of uh, live entertainment than Hamilton right now. Um, but that's OK, because it's a great experience um, for us. And I also think there's a bigger piece of that is the displaced fan too, um, speaking specifically about sports. Um, uh, my wife and I went to graduate school at the University of Central Florida, and obviously, you know, it's a pretty well-known story over the last two years how well they've done. Um, we're former season ticket holders when we lived in Orlando um, when they opened their new stadium several years back, but now we live in New York, and it's, um, you know, they, they've really done a great job through their content team and social media um, of engaging with us um, in New York, uh, we feel like we are very connected because of the content that, that, that they produce. And you know what? When they come to play at UConn or at Temple, um, we're, we're going to buy tickets and we're going to the game. Now, although that doesn't go into their pockets necessarily, it is us supporting them. And then, um, you know, my kids are aligned with uh, UCF merchandise. You know, their, their drawers are full of them. So it's a matter of like engaging with um, people that are at different life stages, um, and it does ebb and flow. You're, you know, a, on the on another example is on the NFL side. We're we're big New York Giants fans, but guess what? My son played soccer um, this year for a travel team, and his games were on Sunday. So I I I'm usually obsessive about watching every single New York Giants game. Well, guess what? Certain priorities shifted, and I wasn't. Um, you know, getting to see them all in real time. You know, maybe I set my DVR for them. Um, you know, they, they weren't very great this year, so I, I didn't feel like I lost out. But, you know, it is it is an ebb and a flow. And I, if I, before I had kids, if I ever told you I'd miss a New York Giants game, you'd think I'd be crazy. But it's, you know, it happens. And, you know, as as fans and as consumers of line entertainment, things do shift and, and evolve or change as you hit different life stages. Yeah, I got I one question here. Is like, so you're? I know you're a Mets fan because we talked about that because I'm a Mets fan. But how did you pull the Mets and Giants out? Because as a you're a longtime New Yorker, it's usually the Mets and the Jets. <laughs> sure. Yes. So it, it is. There, I'm joking. There are, you don't have to answer that. No, there are, there are. It's actually an interesting story, though. My um, grandfather grew up in Brooklyn. Um, grew up a Brooklyn Dodgers fan um, and did shift alliances to to the Mets. 
um, wasn't a big football fan. So when I was young, it was, you know, sort of by through blood, I was a Mets fan and I selected the Giants just because, you know, uh, growing up in, in the eighties, it was a team that it was just, you know, uh, I guess a little more fun to, to be a Giants fan. Um, so that's sort of how that happened, but it's true. The alignment typically doesn't go that way. Um, but, uh, that's sort of the evolution of it and, you know, and, and a quick little hitter on that. Yeah. See, these things are real, uh, and, but to go back to UCF, you bring up a good point, right? They're engaging you in New York and they make you feel connected. And you say, and you made a good point about like, not all of this money goes directly back to them or their, the return on investment may not be direct. But I would argue that that's not entirely true because the likelihood of all this engagement paying off and when they have a request for you to donate to the annual fund or the general fund or any kind of fundraising campaigns they're going to do, I'm going to make a guess that your participation in that is much more likely to happen than to not because you feel still connected to the school. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's not, you know, although they're not getting the revenue from the ticket sale, um, the larger play is, you know, as a university or, you know, when I'm thinking about um, purchasing something, it's probably going to be directly through them to support uh, their athletics department. So that's a good point. Although not all the revenue is direct to them, they are benefiting um, from uh, being the brand that they are and creating the content and engaging me, you know, as a displaced fan. Yeah. And I mean, and I say that as somebody who went to the University of Alabama and you're fa- in, living in New York, you know, you de- you're dealing with one of the same challenges I did, which is that like New York City is not necessarily a hotbed of college football. Right. And so, so sometimes searching out that community was a little bit of a could be a little bit of a challenge. But the University of Alabama has the largest uh, alumni association outside of the state of Alabama in New York City. Yep. And, and there would be this huge community of people. Right. And you would engage with that community. So then every year the Christmas party would come around and here would come Mal Moore, Mal Moore press and flesh. And all of a sudden you'd stroke a check yep. <laughs> every year. Right. And, and it was that same sort of philosophy. So it's I think um, what you're talking about and this, you know, I know we've said we're going to talk about your marketing philosophy a little bit. Maybe this plays into it, too, is that like, I think maybe in some ways we focus too much on the bottom of the funnel things, which are direct response type items, things that we can easily measure when some of the stuff that like really is important and valuable and has the highest return on investment, but it's less, um, it's not as easy to measure or some of those top of funnel things, right? Like you can't say exactly how much engaging on social media is returning on investment for, for Nick, but I bet you that it's a pretty high return on investment because you feel connected to the school, which has infinite numbers of value. You're buying all kinds of uh, merchandise for your kids. You know, you're traveling to games. You're doing all these things, right, which is going to build the University of Central Florida's brand. And it's going to continue to build it. But is there a direct return on investment that you can show every day? I doubt that. But and I don't know how – I'm curious to see how, what you think about that. Yeah, and you know what? I would even say that um, – to use UCF as an example – I don't know how much they know about me particularly. I don't know, um, you know, how if if I'm a segment that they're even looking at. Um, but so to me, I think that's a bit of a missed opportunity too. Is again, we talk about segmenting. I think there is that displaced fan segment um, that is very, very largely underserved because they are very passionate. They're big spenders. But what bucket do you put them in? They're not going to be a season ticket holder. They may buy the one-off um, individual game ticket. And the worst thing to do is start to market to them as if they are local. Um, so again, making sure that you're respecting geos and um, and but how do you really, really 
engage with them. Um, I think it is through um, social media, through um, other campaigns that intelligently interact with, um, you know, displaced fans. Um, and I think that's really key, right, is uh, everything you do needs to be meaningful, intentional, um, targeted, and really just ultimately intelligent based on the data that you have. So if they understand who I am, where I live, all of my customer interactions in one database, they're not going to send me certain offers. But when I am coming to uh, when they are traveling to Yukon or they are traveling to Temple, you know what they're going to do is they're going to probably invite me to a tailgate. Um, and it's going to be very specific to um, maybe sponsored by the UCF Alumni Association, the New York City chapter, like you mentioned. So I think that's what it is, is to really understand your database and not just do this spray and pray stuff that that is so common. I think it's getting less common, um, but it's the idea is to be intentional and then to use your data intelligently to make sure that you're targeting and engaging with people, um, you know, where where they play, how they want to interact with you. And it's sometimes it's about them selecting preferences. Sometimes it's about you selecting preferences and how you want to, um, you know, communicate and market to, um, you know, any fan really. Yeah. And, and you bring up one thing too, it's about their preferences, right? Which is one of the things I try to teach people all the time is that it doesn't matter what I want. It matters what the customer wants. And, you know, and, and, and I think we have to keep that in mind. The other thing that I want to ask you about is about the data to, to as well, is because I have a, I have a, a hypothesis, right? And, um, you know, sometimes it plays out as being um, pretty true. It's, it's been my hit rate on this hypothesis has been pretty, pretty good. Um, but the question is, 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 do you think that people are using data the right way? And by this, I mean, I feel like you should be using data to uh, test hypothesis, right? Like you come up, I come up with a question or an idea that I think might be good or might work. And I use the data to test whether or not I'm an idiot or not. Um, whereas a, a lot of times, I think one of the things that you were talking about, the spray and pray or like kind of like least common denominator marketing that is used from data comes because everybody's trying to allow the data to make all of their decisions for them as opposed to using data to test assumptions. Where do you fall on that idea? So I think I think data is really important to help um, guide you because there's an art and a science to marketing and running businesses in general. Um, so I think um, to your point is it's around testing hypothesis. That's definitely an opportunity. Um, but I also think it needs to um, uh, inform how you are interacting with um, your customers. Um, so one of the big things I always talk about is something that audience view does really well is, you know, all the data they collect is actionable. So we'll go and we'll use Tennessee as an example. Um, for they're, they're doing, you know, number one ranked team in the country right now for, for basketball. Um, so they're very, very popular. So say, for example, and, and this could be any college athletics team or any sports team, um, but we'll use college athletics specifically. They have all the data on a high-level donor. They're doing a whiteout, for example. That fan shows up in Tennessee Orange, and they're sitting, you know, three rows back. So what you now know, though, is you know that they've scanned into the game. You see that they're not wearing the right color. You know what size they are because, you know, you're selling merchandise and tickets. Um, you know, you have all that data. So what you do is you gift them with a T-shirt or a polo in the right color, and they turn out that's a great experience for them. So it's a matter of, you know, real-time 
actionable data to be able to um, provide great customer service, to pre- provide a great customer um, experience. So I think there's different ways to use data. One is, to, and ultimately is always to make it, intelli- you know, to use it intelligently and make it actionable. Yeah, that's um, the actionable idea is something I was talking about with the guy who, the podcast just before yours, which was Martin Gameltoff from Activity Stream. We were talking about creating moments, which what you're describing is the ability to create a magical moment for somebody, right? Which is like giving somebody the right color shirt, right? Oh, man, uh, we saw you were here um, and I was like checking on you and I saw you had an orange shirt on. We were doing a whiteout. So I went and got you a shirt from the, you know, from the team store. Boom. So then you've created a connection. You've created a magic moment that the person's probably going to talk about, even if they're a big donor, right? Or maybe even especially because they're a big donor, because most of the time, if you're not careful, all you're doing is asking them for stuff and you're not like giving, um, you know, and it, and it goes back to like what you were, you were talking about before your connection to UCF or like what happened to me at the hockey game last night. You, you know, it's just like, it's an opportunity to engage people more deeply, right? And every time you, you deepen those connections, the likelihood of you the, the relationship continuing becomes greater, you know, and I, and I think that's, um, you know, being able to take action is infinitely valuable because I know that one of the challenges, you know, not to go off on a tangent, but I know one of the challenges that like a lot of sports teams have faced as they have like collected more data and they've, you know, been partnering with things like Groupon or the consolidators on the secondary market or all these different partners to help sell tickets is that like they're getting all this data and the the partners are telling them specifically how, what you know this is what who this is this is what to do with it and it, it still doesn't get done because the, maybe the problem is that the data without action attached to it is worthless it's just noise buzzing around in your head and so if you're not if you're not willing to take action on what you know then you're just wasting your time by collecting it because it's useless if you don't take action at least that's what I think yeah and and I think to your point too the the idea of surprise and delight. Um, during these event experiences is really great. Now, how do you make that scalable? Um, I think you need, that's where targeting and segmenting and making sure that, you know, you're, you're able to either address people who are having a special evening or people who are um, high spenders. So it, as, as long as you have the data and, you know, intelligently even offer some surprise and delight, I think that's where you separate yourselves as well. Um, and, you know, I, I, just to talk through one of the sessions I'm doing, it's um, one of these mini sessions at Intex, and it's about shareable moments. So it's a little bit different than the, than the one you just referenced. But to me, shareable moments is the idea that you're creating or manufacturing moments within an event, um, either pre, during, or post, um, that gets people to get excited about what they're experiencing and share it. Um, so it goes back to the age-old you know, word-of-mouth marketing. But since we have all these social media channels um, available to us, Every time someone wants to attend an event, ultimately they want to share what they're doing. They, they're having a great time. Um, so one, the session I'm going to be doing is, is focused on some um, low-cost shareable moments. And these could be you know, really just setting yourself up for success as an organization. So you know, anything that you can do to uh, make a photo opportunity um, or you know, even if it's just guiding people. So it's, you know, calling out certain selfie spots or, you know, creating stuff in your, your lobby or around your arena, um, you know, and, or alerting people and creating those, like you said, those shareable moments is, you know, indicating when you're going to have photos with a mascot or um, any kind of VIP access 
or you know, for, for example, um, post um, you know post event or post show uh, interviews or photo opportunities with uh, you know the cast. Um, so there are opportunities to do these things. So I'm going to take a deeper dive into that and show, you know, what, what you can be doing as an organization, because ultimately, you know, we can't always joke that not, we can't always afford a Kardashian as an online influencer. Um, but you know, the brand ambassadors that are really, really influential are the ones that are our customers. They are a prime organic lookalike audience um, that likely fits your buyer persona sweet spot. So it's those people are sharing out to the people that are probably likely to um, visit your venue, purchase from you, go to see shows. So it's a matter of um, creating these uh, brand ambassadors that are, it's, it's really free and it's organic and it actually is someone sharing your story and that, again, that age old word of mouth marketing. Yeah, and and this is that's what you just said about building a brand ambassador is very important because this is um I was talking to uh, the people from Georgia Tech at NACTA, which it maybe be the last time we saw each other. Uh, but I, I was saying that exact same same thing, which is that if you have people who are really actively engaged and they really love what you're doing. It's not just that they they want to be ambassadors; they love to be ambassadors. They want to share the story. They want to make because in a way they feel like it's going to create, make a stronger community. And I think that community should be at the heart of all this stuff that we're doing as far as like live experiences, live entertainment, uh, sports and entertainment is like, you're, you're, it's a community, you know? And, and I think if we, we, as you know, kind of wrap up the whole conversation here is in the experience economy, people are looking for connections to other people. And, by creating brand ambassadors, you allow people to connect with other people. You allow people to build a community. And you as the focal point and the center of this community have a, a tremendous opportunity to serve and continue to um, assist people in growing that community. And the byproduct of it is that you're going to sell more tickets, sell more merchandise, um, make probably make more money. And, you know, and it's like a, and everybody's going to be happy. Because it's not like it's it, it's like you've said a lot. You're adding tremendous value to people's lives because everybody, you know, maybe not displaced by location, but just displaced by technology and the ability to like not necessarily see people and engage people in a um, community type fashion. And I think it's really really valuable. I completely agree, Dave. And it's it's really about creating a passionate community but also serving that passionate community. And that passionate community isn't just season ticket holders. It's any of your fans. So it's really you know, understanding and intelligently communicating with um, and offering value to everyone in your passionate community. Yeah, no, it, it's great. Um, so now your session on shareable moments. Um, do you know what stage you're on? It is. So it's part of the um, inspiration stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that is, um, I think, right outside of the exhibit hall, they list it as the uh, vineyard pre-function area. Um, so that's uh, Thursday at uh, thir- the 31st at 1030. And then I am um, also doing a, a panel discussion um, called Ask a Boomer um, on Wednesday, January 30th. So this is a follow up to um, I did ask a millennial last year. <laughs> yes. um, so I'm trying to, you know, um, sort of hitting each of the segments. And, um, you know, we I actually did the ask a millennial session, I think, four times last year at, at different events. And 
ultimately certain themes came out of it and we produced um, some written content around it. Um, but what I want to do is I want to focus on some of these segments because we all have stereotypes. We all re- and we're obsessive. We, we like to talk about millennials. We like to talk about boomers. So my concept with these panel sessions is let's stop talking about them. Let's start talking to them. So I have um, four really great um, uh, boomers lined up, um, including Dan D'Amato from Future Techs. Um, and what we'll do is we'll get into a really great conversation um, around, you know, what are their preferences? How do they like to be marketed to? Where, where are they active? What social media channels? What are their, you know, you know, are there any accessibility things that they're looking at? You know, what, what do they like to be, you know, referred to? Are they willing to, you know, request the, the senior discount? You know, things that are, you know, you know, we don't really, you know, we, we make guesses at, let's actually talk to them. Let's, Let's um, see what they're thinking because I think people will walk away from it and go, "Wow, that's that's a bit different than what I stereotypically think about, you know, boomers or or anyone that's you know that older segment of our customers." And to be quite honest, oftentimes it's the younger generation, the millennials, um, that are in the position to market, and they you can't again talking about it's you take yourself out of you know what you specifically think. This is an opportunity for them to actually learn you know, how they like to be marketed to, what are the channels they're on? Because if you just continue to use, you know, Snapchat or Instagram and they're not there and they may be there, you need to learn about it and you need to properly, um, you know, market to that segment because you know what, there's a lot of discretionary spend available there. And, you know, the, that segment is absolutely large and growing and passionate. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's exactly right. And as a uh, Gen X person, I, I sit there and I just, you know, like um, Keenan Thompson said on Saturday Night Live on Saturday, I'd sit there and I hate both of them. So <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Or I watched the world burn. That was the other joke he had. So, <laughs> but I think it's really good. You you do you you can't reinforce it enough because the trend in advertising and marketing has been to uh, rotate the, the cast that's going to be producing the marketing so rapidly that. The, it's always like a younger and younger group of people marketing to older and older people. And I, and it becomes very difficult for the people in positions uh, to make decisions in marketing and advertising to understand that like, just because you're on Snapchat doesn't mean the rest of the world is, um, you know, just because you're doing this doesn't mean the rest of the world is. And it's not because they're old and stuck in the mud. It's just everybody has different preferences depending on, again, stage of life. Yeah, and for and for better or worse, you know, we we um, oftentimes live in these echo chambers. So our social media channels, we're only used to what they look like. So it's a matter of really taking a step back and understanding. And so my goal is for um, anyone attending the session is to walk away and say, hey, I learned you know several new things, but you know I'm going to take a different approach and understand the mindset of these different. Um, you know, uh, demographics, because I think that is the critical part is why do they act like this? Why are their preferences? Um, you know, we, we really took that deep dive with millennials last year. And I think people did understand them a little more. And I think that, you know, hopefully, um, you know, they changed, we changed some minds last year and, and people are a little more willing to understand the mindset that goes into the decision making or the behavior of these certain demos. Yeah, and it goes without saying. I think that you're absolutely right, and the people will come away with some incredible insights, um, you know, just from the conversation. Because I think it's really important that you not only, and this goes back to data, look at the macro, but also the micro. Because without you, a doubt, because if you only look at the ma- the, the macro, you're going to get a skewed uh, angle 
on what is meaningful or not meaningful, what's relevant or irrelevant. And, you know, and I think the conversations like you did last year with the millennials and this year with the boomers are very helpful in putting a little bit of context, a little bit of the micro to help, you know, make the macro a little more relevant to people. So I would encourage people to do that. Um, I want to encourage people to, you know, check you out at the audience view booth. Um, you know, definitely to check you out and uh, connect with you so you can, you know, have a nice conversation because, you know, you and I, we, we, we always have nice conversations. Um, how can people find you on the internet, Nick? Sure. So just, just your to your last point is we are booth 401 right inside the entrance to the exhibit hall. So please do stop by. Um, but uh, the easiest way to reach out to me either is LinkedIn or um, on Twitter. I'm, I'm fairly active there. So it's uh, my name at Nick Begley on Twitter. So please do connect with me and uh, send, send me a message. I look forward to interacting. Yeah. All right. Nick, thanks for, so much for doing this. Absolutely, Dave. Thanks for having me. I want to thank my guest, Nick Begley, once more for taking time to be on the Business of Fun podcast. Make sure you check out Nick at Intix to see his sessions on Ask a, a Boomer or on the Inspiration Stage where he talks about shareable moments. Also, you can find me doing a lot of Intix. I'm going to be leading a pan or on a panel talking about how we can be more like the airlines. I'm taking part in the Technology Committee a workshop that'll be taking place. I will be at on the Ask a Consultants panel, led by Dan D'Amato. I will also be doing a revenue workshop. In general, you can find me at my website, though. That's www.davewakeman.com. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Twitter, at David Wakeman. If you have any ideas, questions, concerns, thoughts, anything like that, you can send me an email. I'd love to get your emails. It's dave at davewakeman.com. And if you're going to be at Intix, make sure you put Intix in the subject line so we can get together. As always, I want to thank our sponsors. Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To find out how you and your organization can offer your guests a better buying experience, more customization throughout the buying process, peace of mind for their purchases, and you can create a new revenue stream for your organization, visit www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com, the global leaders in refund protection. And if you're going to be at Intix, you're going to be able to find us there. See us in person. We're going to be at booth 204, which is kitty corner to the Ticketmaster booth. I think we're right by the food and beverage, so should be a popular spot. Um, and if you, But if you want to make sure you get in touch with us, send me an email. It's dave at davewakeman.com and put Intix in the subject line. And I'll make sure that you get together, grab a, a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, a drink with me or Kat or Simon. Again, send me an email, dave at davewakeman.com, put Intix in the subject line, and I'll make sure you get together with all of us. And until I, next time, I want to thank you for always listening, for being here, for providing me a platform to talk to you and to learn and to share these ideas. Um, I look forward to uh, the next episode of The Business is Fun. I look forward to having a chance to talk to all of you in person next week in Dallas. Uh, take it easy. I'll see you soon.